Thank you. Uh, my dad's been having a bit of a bad time of it. Uh, days after moving into their new house, he fell down a few stairs, ended up in hospital for five months. Uh, during the time of his recovery in hospital, his partner also fell over and broke her arm. Uh, thankfully, uh, uh, he, he did come out of hospital and was back in that new house, but only a number of days later did the house burn down. And uh, they escaped fine, they'll, they'll fine, but everything was lost. And over the last few weeks, they've been shuttling around, uh, living with some friends in their small house when they can, living in a holiday chalet that's not very well equipped, uh, whilst they wait for the processes to come, and they hopefully will soon be moving into a bungalow for a time whilst their house gets cleared and rebuilt over probably 12 months. Uh, all the possessions they have are in, in the boot of their car, and, and my dad still has to wear a neck brace because he needs another operation on his neck before that's properly healed. He, he had a COVID test before going into hospital the other day, uh, bearing in mind he had to get to hospital in Southampton at half past seven. When you're on the Isle of Wight, you have to kind of go a day early. Uh, he had the COVID test, it was negative. When he got there though, they didn't have the results for the COVID test. They did another one and he was positive. They had to send him home, they couldn't do the operation. And you say to yourself sometimes, don't you, and we mutter amongst ourselves as family, Lord, is, is this bad luck or is this spiritual attack? You sometimes wonder the same question maybe for circumstances in your own life or those you know and love. Well, what if I told you that only a few years ago did my dad return to the Lord after 40 years? What if I told you that also uh, his partner came to faith in Jesus Christ for the first time only a couple of years ago? Well, I've told you also, they've been going to the church. My dad hasn't been to church regularly for 40 years. They're part of a community. They had, a, had a, an offering for them and gave them 5,000 pounds. Well, if I told you that my dad initiated Zoom prayer for us, the family, for my sister who had diagnosed cancer during lockdown, my dad initiated Zoom prayer for the family. And even my mum was there. Spiritual tackle, bad luck. I can report their faith is as strong as ever. It's tough, it's horrible, it's stressful, but their faith is resolute, which is wonderful. Praise God for that. We're approaching Easter, and so our preaching series, which we've been in the book of Luke with, uh, is flicking really from the start of Jesus' earthly ministry in the early chapters to the end of Jesus' earthly ministry in chapters 22 to 24. Now, uh, we're not going to be able to cover everything over these next few weeks from those chapters, but I would really encourage you as homework to take away in the lead up to Easter over these next two weeks to read Luke chapters 22, 23, and 24. It will do you good. If you're in, in a household with other people, I would encourage you, why not take the opportunity when you're gathered around a table, maybe breakfast time, maybe evening meal time, to read a little section together each evening or every other evening until you get through those chapters. Maybe after you've had your dinner, maybe over dessert. Or, or if you're a single person household, why not at some point over the next couple of weeks, get together for a few mates, have a meal together and read chapters 22 and 24. Maybe even take communion together as you do it. They're fantastic stories and accounts of what happened in the final days and hours of Jesus' life. Uh, the cross, the death, and the resurrection of the Son of God. Uh, all I'm going to do today is highlight three sentences from Luke chapter 22 in those final, uh, uh, final day of his. 
it was during the after-dinner conversation in the Last Supper when the disciples were bickering amongst themselves about who was the greatest, that Jesus turned to Peter and said this in verses 31 and 32. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Peter went on to express his loyalty, his devoted loyalty to Jesus. Jesus then predicted he would deny Jesus three times before the cock crowed. And you can read the rest of the story. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you've preserved in, in, this, in these chapters, in this account of, of the most glorious moment in history of the death and then the resurrection of Jesus, this cosmic narrative that's being played out, you also drop in these little personal, intimate conversations. God, it says so much about you. So help us to understand. We're not Simon, but we weren't there. But help us to understand why it's recorded, why it's there for our benefit today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Um, I'm just drawing out three things this morning from those three sentences. Things I feel God wants to highlight to us this morning. They are, firstly, that we're all in a spiritual battle. Secondly, Jesus is praying for us. And thirdly, that he's calling each one of us who are in him to strengthen the church. So let's start with this first point. We are in a spiritual battle. Verse 31, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. Someone once said that the Christian life isn't like a battle. It is a battle. And Satan, clearly from what we've got recorded here, had it in for every single one of the original disciples. Although he's talking to Simon, Jesus said, no, Satan wants to sift all, all of you as wheat in verse 31. And in the same way, Satan has it in for every single one of Jesus' disciples today. In that sense, nothing has changed. And he's going to use every trick in his book, every means that is available to him to try and ruin your life and wreck your faith and render you ineffective as a believer of Jesus. He's, he's bent, hell-bent on that strategy. Now, it talks about sifting as wheat. Anyone sifted wheat before? Oh, I didn't think, no, even though we're in a relatively semi-rural environment, there's not many of us sifting wheat on a regular basis. So we need to understand what's going on here. Well, sifting was the process of removing the hard, crusty, non-edible bits from the wheat, from, from the kernel itself. And it involved a couple of processes, often. Uh, firstly, beating it somehow, or with a threshing sledge, so they get all the kind of big bits off, the stalk and the kind of outer shell, and then you would... Uh, winnow it, um, I, I think is the, is the verb, which is throwing the remnants up in the air and all the flaky kind of chaffy bits kind of get blown away in a gentle breeze until you're just left with, with the wheat. So it sounds like a bit of a brutal process. If you're the wheat, can you imagine? Being beaten, being thrown in the air. If you like, it's, in other words, bringing it slightly up to date, though still a few centuries old, it's like Satan wanting to put you through the mill. Yeah, we don't mill very often, many of us do we, but we understand the process of milling. 
It's, it's, if you're the kernel, if you're the grain, it's kind of a, a heavy-duty thing. Do you ever get that feeling, maybe when you watch the news or see what's going on in the world, or maybe in your own life, that you wonder, you know, what's going on behind the scenes? There's something else behind all this. I guess it's why conspiracy theories are so popular at times. Because it's kind of, yeah, we've got this, I think there's something else going on that we're not being told about. Perhaps that's why the Matrix film is, uh, is being reloaded again as a new franchise coming. Is that right? Or am I out of date? I don't know. Because, uh, again, it's, we, we think there's something else going on behind the scene. Well, in Luke's account of the cross, there is something going on behind the scenes. And he keeps, if you like, peeling back the lace. He keeps drawing the curtain to help us see the spiritual realm. It's a spiritual realm. That is affecting the things, the physical world that we live in. And he does it throughout um, the account of the cross. Back in verse 3 of chapter 22, if you've got it open in Luke, it says that Satan entered Judas. That's Luke's commentary on what was going on there when uh, Judas decided to betray Jesus. Satan entered Judas. That's one of the most sobering verses in the New Testament, I think. But it's Luke's attempt to try and help us understand the stuff going on behind the scenes. In verse 44, when Jesus was praying in anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke points out, and Jesus sweated drops like blood. Such was the intensity of his spiritual battle at that moment. And in verse 53, when Jesus is arrested, Jesus describes it this way. He says, this is your hour. When darkness reigns, is he speaking to the chief priests who come to arrest him? Is he speaking to Judas who kind of sealed it with a kiss? Is 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 he talking to Satan? The darkest hour is this moment, said Jesus. I know a pop popular uh, prime minister of a, of a war era used that phrase, but, but Jesus used it. No, this is the darkest hour. Talking spiritually about what's going on behind the scenes, if you like. And Luke noted, he's the only gospel writer who notes it, that when Jesus did eventually die on the cross, even though it was mid-afternoon, it went pitch black. Literally black uh, with, with darkness. I think one danger we have as believers, particularly who've grown up in a Western context, is that we dismiss the spiritual forces of evil affecting our lives. Um, Job got referenced a couple of weeks ago, and, and, and Job springs to mind again when, when, you, when we're, we're looking at what Jesus said to Peter in this instance. And uh, again, at the beginning of, of the book of Job, the author pulls back the curtain on the traumas that Job eventually goes through in terms of losing his possessions and his health and his wealth and gives us an insight into the spiritual realm, unbeknownst, I think, largely to Job at the time. It says this, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going to and fro on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land, but 
Now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, and on the man himself do not lay a finger. And you can read the next 30, 40 chapters to see how that all pans out. It's sobering stuff. And we've got many questions, I'm sure, about it. Just as we might have, what does this mean? Satan is asked to sift Simon like wheat. Well, we might not have all the answers, but we know this. We're in a spiritual battle. There is another reality. It's affecting our lives. I think another danger we might have, some of us, would be that we attribute more power, however, to, the, to Satan than he actually has. It's interesting in this in this passage, Jesus is clear that Satan had to ask Jesus uh, to sift the disciples like wheat. Now, I don't think this is Satan just being polite. He had to, legally, if you like, he had to uh, uh, get permission. He could only operate where permission was available. He's limited in the havoc that he can cause in our lives, and that should be a comfort to us. Yes, he's got a bark and he's got a bite, but he's on a lead, and he's on God's lead. So we shouldn't attribute too much power, overestimate the power that he has. Having gone through the sifting experiences that he did, and we'll look at them in a minute, um, it's interesting that Peter, when he wrote his little letter, uh, warned all Christians and you can just sense his experience kind of forming his words when he says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be alert, be sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. That's our reality. That's the spiritual battle that we're in. That's what Peter, I think, experienced and his experience points help us to be alert and sober-minded and prepared. So we are in a spiritual battle, that's the serious point. But the wonderful truth is that Jesus is praying for us. Jesus is praying for you. And he's praying for me like he was praying for Peter. On that day, let me just explain. Oh, I keep using Peter and Simon, and you might have got a bit confused. Who is this guy? Is he Peter? Is he Simon? Is he one and the same? Is he the person known as Simon Peter? Yet yeah, he is all one and the same. Um, he was called Simon, and then Jesus renamed him back in Luke chapter 6 when he called the 12 disciples. He renamed him Peter, and sometimes he gets referred to as Simon, but not often after that point, and sometimes he gets referred to as Peter more often after that point. And, uh, but at this point, Jesus turns to him and says, Simon, Simon. And I think, why suddenly the name change back? Why revert back? He's been calling him Peter. He's referred to as Peter in, in that chapter earlier and later. Yet in this moment, Jesus uses a different name. And I think it's twofold. I think firstly, is to get Peter's attention. Um, when I was growing up, if, if my mum or dad wanted my attention, they might say, Timothy. Yeah, oh, right, yeah, that's my name, see? Uh, others know me as Tim. Uh, but I think that repetition, Timothy, Timothy, would carry, would carry an affection, would carry a heart of love and compassion. I think, I think that's what's going on there in the Simon, Simon. Because, yeah, God is wanting to warn Peter. 
but he's warning as a friend. He's warning with love. He's, he's warning with compassion and affection. I just think it's amazing that Jesus says, I'm praying for you. And I believe Jesus is praying right now for us, for you, any believer in the world right now. It is a grace. It is a mystery that the creator of the world is praying for me. I mean, the very fact that there is prayer going on within the Trinity blows my mind. And then the very fact, as we're told here, that the content of that prayer features my name and your name blows me away altogether. But we get this throughout Jesus' life and we get to the Garden of Gethsemane, which comes later in this chapter. The, the, Jesus is now facing the toughest challenge of all time, not just the toughest challenge in his life. He's in intense intercession. But his prayers, as we've got them recorded in John chapter 17, are dominated by prayers for others. Yet he prays for himself. We get five verses of him praying for himself. You can understand that. He's going to take on the sins of the world. He's going to be separated from his father. He's going to go through the most painful death known to man. That is crucifixion. And he prays for himself. Yet in 21 verses, he's praying for his disciples. Not only those then and there, but those to come. That includes us. This is the heart of Jesus. And you might think, well, that's okay, Tim. That, that was in Jesus' earthly life. Maybe he did pray for folk. I can understand that. He was, he was on the earth and he was interacting. He was going to pray to the Father for folk. Well, let me tell you, it's more wonderful than you can imagine. In the book of Hebrews, the author having explained how Jesus is the perfect and permanent high priest, the author then concludes, therefore, Jesus is able to save completely, or if you like, eternally, those who come to God through him, through Jesus, because. That's an important word there, because. How? How is it that Jesus is able to save completely? People will come to God through him. Well, it's because he always lives to intercede for them. One of the reasons that Jesus is alive today, not only because he was powerful enough to conquer death, is to pray for us. What an amazing truth. And that's, that's what Jesus is encouraging Peter with right there. You know, the perseverance of your faith is not down to your performance. Hallelujah. But it's based on the perpetual prayers of the Son of God. We're saved by grace, hallelujah. And we're sustained by that very grace, hallelujah. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't pray that Simon won't be sifted, but that his faith won't fail. We might want our difficulties to be removed, the temptations to be dialed, down, but Jesus is often praying that they will be overcome, that we will overcome them. And it's interesting, you'll go on if you read the, the chapter and find all the ways in which Peter was tested and sifted and tempted. He was tempted to be boastful, and lo and behold, 
There he was bickering with the others that he was the greatest. Lo and behold, there he was, all puffed up in self-importance. I'll die with you, Jesus. He was tempted to be self-reliant. He's given the privilege of, of going with Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane in his darkest hour, and he fell asleep. Jesus said, you need to pray. Pray you won't fall into temptation. And he fell asleep. He was resting rather than relying on God. He was tempted to be angry. When Jesus was arrested, Peter had a sword on him, and he used it in a bout of violence right near someone's head. An ear fell off. Jesus, thankfully, healed it. I mean, this is dramatic stuff. He was tempted to be lash out in anger. He was, he, he was tempted also to be fearful. There he was, kind of on the edge of things when Jesus had been arrested and was taken away and, uh, and some people challenged him. Aren't you one of them? Don't you know Jesus? Aren't you from Galilee? No, no, not me. I don't know the man. He was tempted to be fearful. And Jesus, interestingly, didn't pray those temptations away. He didn't pray away those tests, but he prayed for Peter's faith in them. He prayed, I'm sure, that Peter would resist the temptations by faith. But knowing he wouldn't resist all of them, he also, I believe, prayed that Peter would then return, repent and return to God again by faith. You know, whatever challenges you're going through right now, be encouraged. Jesus is praying for you and for your faith, that your faith will not fail. Hallelujah. And then thirdly, I just want to draw out, we're each called to strengthen the church. At the end of verse 32, Jesus then said in the third sentence, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. You see, not only does God's grace save and sustain us, but God's grace restores and recommissions us. Hallelujah. You may know, Peter did deny, as I said, Jesus three times that very night. And on that third moment, sure enough, the cock crowed. But not only that, very poignantly, the arrested Jesus caught the eye of Peter. What a moment. What a moment. Peter ran off and he cried his heart out. But beautifully, at the end of John's gospel, after all that John writes, the very last thing he says is about Peter and Jesus interacting again. And lo and behold, there's restoration of their relationship and a recommissioning to Peter to go and strengthen the brothers. Go and take care of my sheep. Go and feed my lambs. Repeated three times, one each, I'm sure, for each of his denials. That number was significant. You know, whenever we mess up, and we'll mess up sometimes, Jesus knows. We can and we, we are able to return to God every time. Whatever we think we've done, however bad we think we may have been. Restoration in God is always possible. It's based on his grace. But in that moment... As our relationship with Jesus is restored, there is also on us, I believe, a responsibility. A responsibility to one another. I believe that each and every one of us here today, who is a believer in Jesus, has a ministry. That means it sounds special, doesn't it? A service, if you like. A ministry of strengthening. Did you know that? 
Have you, have you been thinking to yourself, oh God, what is your will for my life? What, what is it you want from me? What am I called to do? Do you ask that question sometimes? I can, I can tell you something for definite. God's call on your life is to strengthen the believers. It is to strengthen one another, to strengthen God's church. Okay, you might want more specifics, but get started. We've got so much to do. This is one of the core elements that God has called us all to do. Before you get specifics, make sure you've got this going in your life. We're called to build one another up. We're called to encourage one another. We're called to, to help bolster each other's faith in Jesus. And it's going to look different for each of us, depending on our gift, depending on the opportunities God gives to each and every one of us. And you know what? Somehow, in him, even, even the battle scars, God can use to strengthen others. Even the things you've messed up, when you've repented and returned, God can use in an amazing way to encourage and strengthen other people that they wouldn't mess up and their faith would remain resilient in those moments. And praise God, if you do overcome and you resist those temptations, God's going to give you a depth, an ability to impart and encourage others in a special way. Such is God's grace. You know, we get together like this, don't we, once a week. It's not arbitrary, you know. It's a pattern. I don't know why seven, but seven. God chose seven. And we come together, as we've been doing, to worship, to learn, to grow together. And, and also, as we read in the New Testament, the early church, they, they met in small groups. Midweek, if you like, in different contexts, in people's homes. And we discover, and they utilize spiritual gifts. Gifts anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is the pattern that's laid down for us. This is normal Christianity. And you wonder, why, Lord? Really? Why? Is it just good stuff? Is it, is it just, you know, what you want us to do? Well, I think, I think in part, one of the reasons for all of those things is because we've got to strengthen one another. We, we, we've got to strengthen the brothers and sisters. In Christ, we, we, you, each of us have a role in encouraging and building up the faith of one another. That's what we're about. And, and in turn, we find, wow, we're strengthened and built up, built up and encouraged in our faith. Amazingly, it's, it's not a one-way street here. But also, as we, by God's spirit and his prompt, give out and help others, we find not only are they blessed, but, whoa, this is what I'm this is what I'm created for. You get a fulfillment, a satisfaction, a contentment of, of doing the very thing that God built you to do. Now, I really do believe the church is meant to be made up of disciples who just keep returning to God and keep strengthening one another.